Welcome to the Delish Guestless Podcast, a deep dive into the lives and work of Hong Kong's crazy food and beverage industry leaders, hosted by The Beat Asia. Today, we invited Ivy Liu, better known as TV's Dolce Vita presenter Ivy Liu, on Hong Kong's TV Pearl and J2, showcasing the fine tastes of coffee, food and luxury in the city. She shares her unique blend of marketing experience and coffee knowledge as a CQI Q Arabica grader and how she developed a passion for coffee. Only on the Delish guest list. I started my career as a copywriter. Interesting. And um, I've always had a very sensitive sensory palate, uh, according to my, my my parents, my relatives anyway. And I started my sensory journey with whiskey. Okay, so mm-hmm. I did um, the WSET, so that's the Wine and Spirits Educational Trust. Um, and I, you know, finished, I think I finished level two last I remember. Wow. And then I did tea. I was really into naturopathy for a long while. So that would be the study of Western herbal medicine, mm-hmm. the study of Chinese herbal medicine, um, and learning the different taste notes of every kind of herb and tea out there. So that's where I learned the wow. sensory, okay? And then um, fast track two years into my role as a copywriter, I realized the pay is awful. <laughs> so um, when there was an opportunity for me to jump into the coffee industry at the coffee academics, I took it. I took a gamble oh, wow. and I jumped into um, basically partnerships and marketing. That's where I actually started learning coffee. Okay, when so was this? That was in two thousand and. 18. Okay. That was before I joined TVB. And um, now it took ages for me to really understand coffee because, as I said, right, like um, the market here in Hong Kong is not very robust. It's not mature. Um, So, you know, for me, even though I have very good sensory, it was still a really big struggle to understand everything there is to know about specialty coffee. It's really complicated <laughs> because um, when you first started out, you realize it's not like tea or whiskey. The product is not already created. Like even with red wines mm. or white wines, it's bottled. And then you learn the tasting notes off of which is written on the bottle um, maybe you learn a little bit from a sommelier who has introduced the wine to you. But with coffee, is different. The barista has a lot of control over the final product. So if, say, I want to have a particular acidic coffee, but the coffee itself uh, generally has a tasting note of, say, chocolatey kind of um Mailed caramelly mm. notes to it. How do you extract the acidity of that coffee? Now it is actually possible. So it comes into it comes down to like uh, extraction time. It comes down to whether you added pressure when you are brewing the coffee. Uh, you know, all those little things, right? Um, uh, or it even comes to the roast as well. So the coffee academics they roast their own coffee, yes. and obviously they have baristas. Who know what they're doing. <laughs> um, they have really interesting coffee machines there. Uh, a lot of people kind of don't notice uh, the coffee machines, but in different shops, you usually might see the Lamazoko. Okay, you might see the Slayer machine. You might see uh, something really interesting called the Lamazoko Strata EP. What is that at the shop? So, since I'm a coffee geek, I <laughs> follow all the machineries. <laughs> And um, I I actually started learning coffee off of one of the most innovative 
and hardest coffee machine you could possibly get and to control the Strata EP because mm. everything is based off on pressure. Okay, so how do I how do I try to explain this? Is that a lot of baristas they start to learn coffee because they need to learn to brew coffee using normal coffee machines, sure. which is you put you got you put the coffee inside the hopper inside the grinder, you get the coffee and then you put it inside the porta filter. Okay, that's usually the process, right? You temp it, you stick it in the coffee machine, you press a button, and it should be programmed to extract a certain amount of coffee. It's magic. That's how it usually works. It's physics. Oh, it's physics. It's physics. So, I mean, mean, if you don't know it, right? (laughs) If you don't know science, then it is magic. It's like if you were to go back in time and you look at, um, say, you bring a smartphone back to the medieval ages, (laughs) people are going to think it's um, it's magic. And it kind of is because it's also really difficult to teach coffee. So um, on that premise, I I spent uh, two years learning the content of coffee. Wow. And then afterwards, uh, a lot of trial and error. <laughs> what goes into those two years of you studying? Is it learning about the brewing? Is it learning about the different types of coffee, where it's farmed? Uh, you start by doing the copywriting because that's usually the the responsibility mm. of the marketing to do the copywriting for the product descriptions. So you have to do a lot of research into the origin that's the first step to learning coffee. The second step is to learn the tasting notes. So I mentioned earlier, you know, that the barista has a lot of power over what tasting notes are provided. So um, I would ask the roaster, I would ask the barista what the tasting notes could be. So back then, I, I hadn't gotten my Q grader, but there were Q graders in and within mm. the, the company. So that's where you start learning what other kinds of tasting notes are, are in within coffee. Sure. So there are common denominators in and within different kinds of coffee. And um, you'll realize that some of the tasting notes in wines don't quite apply, but some <laughs> do, some do. Um, and then you learn about the more complex details in and within coffee bean packaging. So like varietals, um, that goes into a little bit of the biology mm. of um, the the different types of coffee beans out there. It's not just Arabica or Robusta. There are different varieties in and within each um, genus. Yeah. And sure. then you have to learn, um, is it natural or is it um, hybridized in a lab? And how does that affect taste notes? So varieties affect taste notes, okay? And then you need to learn the um, actual plantation and the farming process, the agricultural process of coffee. Uh, All of this is just the prerequisite to learning to write the product description for coffee beans. For, For a layman who goes to restaurants and drinks white wine, I know white wine can be found in Chile, Australia, South Africa, France, California. New world, yes. Where can you get and farm coffee beans? Okay, so in and within the coffee, in the within the whole world, there's something called the coffee belt. So you might have seen posters talking about the coffee belt um, in and around coffee shops because mm. people love to reference it. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's the that's a, a a certain region in and within and near the equator. So near the Tropic of Cancer, near the Tropic of Capricorn um, and all of the regions in between where there is arable land, that's the coffee belt. And that's where all the places that coffee can be grown. 
But as you know, people are doing a lot of experiments, especially with the effects of climate change. So um, people are experimenting hardier versions of Arabica varietals in order to be planted outside of the coffee belt. So the, the anyway, coffee belt, that's where you would usually be able to find sure. um, coffee plantations and coffee farms. What sort of see. countries can you find those uh, varieties in? Uh, uh, everywhere. Uh, Africa. Africa is the most um, uh, well-known in terms mm. of quality, but there are three very large coffee-producing countries, Brazil, Vietnam, and Colombia. Of course. Right? So they produce not just Arabica, they actually produce a lot of Robusta. Okay? Mm. So then you have places like Malaysia, they do Liberica. So that's the Malaysian white coffee. Um, it's usually sold in those like granulated uh, packets, and it's, they've got like milk powder in, 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 in within that as well. And then um, that's not specialty. Okay, FYI. <laughs> Don't approve of the powdered milk. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, South America's uh, a lot of different countries in the, in within South America. Mm. Um, you've got Peru and so on. And then the Caribbeans as well, Mexico. These are all places where you can get coffee. And uh, most, most recently, Yunnan has started growing their own mm. coffee beans, as well as other places in China. Um, as long as it's it lies within the coffee belt, technically you can grow coffee. But it's just a matter of does it taste nice? <laughs> okay. So for reference, going back to that analogy, if mm. I were to go to a restaurant, you've got the house white and the house red. What are those versions if you go to a coffee shop? What are you typically drinking if you don't tell someone, oh, yeah, I want Ethiopian or Colombian coffee? So in Hong Kong, it's uh, you want a nutty or fruity I'm sure you've you've been to a coffee shop and they ask, oh, you want the nutty coffee or you want the fruity version? Um, Because a lot of people think that um, nutty is less acidic and Mm. fruity is more acidic. Uh, That's not always the case. It actually depends on how you brew the coffee. So for nutty, they usually give you a Brazil. So that tends to have peanut flavors, um, mixed nuts. You could have some pecans in the Brazil. But I've had Brazil that tastes like lemons. So really? it's it's different, but it, it really depends on the selection by the roaster, depends on the selection by the owner or the barista. And then you've got the fruity version where people think that, oh, that might go well as a black or a filter, uh, maybe not with milk. They tend to think that fruity coffees would be African coffees. Now, that's not always the case as well. But people in Hong Kong like to generalize. I think it's a little bit easier for people to understand. It's a bit like, yeah, as you say, house red, house white. Mm -hmm. It's easier for people to just digest it. I mean, if you really dig into red wines, you know, there's so many different varietals as well in and within red wines. Different regions, old world, new world, the uh, different characteristics of each. And then how long has it been... Mm -hmm. um, uh, stored and uh, should you have fresh wine or should you have um, slightly aged wine? All <laughs> these things inform wine. But in coffee, it goes beyond that. It's like um, you've got the, yes, the selection of the origin, but then you've also got what machine you use to brew it. Mm. <laughs> so it's like um, it could get really complex. So the market, uh, especially coffee shops in Hong Kong, in order to digest all of that really complicated information, we just give you, you want nutty or you want fruity? <laughs> <laughs> How can you tell between a good coffee in Hong Kong and a bad coffee in Hong Kong? Um, we always talk about clarity. 
So what does that mean when you sip? I'll, I'll use the wine example because a lot of people are used to taste sipping wine and tasting quality wines. Um, higher quality wines usually taste like what? Almost like perfume. You would have florals. You have fruits. There will be very good clarity in those tasting notes. You're not going to have the fruity or the or the floral notes suddenly mixed up with some um, earthy notes. That doesn't usually happen in wines. The mouthfeel is usually very smooth, right? There's no granularity to it, no powderiness to it. It's usually a very uh, clean cup. We say in coffee. Same thing in coffee. So sensory judgment you find in wines, in spirits, in sake,、mm. in tea. It's all the same. So the highest graded coffees are all tasted like florals and fruits, and they're always very clear in what kind of taste notes you get. So if it's、um, jasmine-like,、mm. you would really be able to taste and smell the jasmine.、Uh, if it is got、uh, strawberries or currants, you、sure. can really get it. You know, it's it's almost first of mind on the first sip, and you're not going to get those powderiness. It's not going to feel like having sand in your mouth. The acidity is very smooth. It's never biting.、Mm. That is a good cup of coffee. So if you are a wine lover, if you love sake, if you love tea, the the same goes. Okay, so you don't want something that really sticks out or uncomfortable and needs to be very smooth on the mouth. So we call this a full body、uh, smooth palate. We call this、um, a tea like juicy. So these、mm. are all really good characteristics of good coffee. And then the taste notes are very clear. You know what you're going to get. If I'm going to order an Ethiopian yoga chef, which is very popular, everybody knows it tastes good,、mm. or Tanzania, very very high grade grade one Tanzania, it's going to taste like the citrus notes. It's going to be full of tropical flavors. You know、mm. it. And then、uh, when you drink it, if it's good quality, you get pineapple. You might get mango. You might get florals. Really. Yes, absolutely, and then it's almost like if you smell it, it smells like perfume. Going back to the analogy of wine, because you've been experienced and you know, studied that as well. How does one drink a cup of coffee to experience those floral tastes? Because you can swig a wine glass around, and、mm. you can smell, you can see. Would that be the same experience in coffee?、Um, the ritual is different. What's the ritual? In wines, you swirl it, you lift it up against the light, and you、mm. look for the legs to see how viscous it might be, and you have to smell it. That's the aroma or the fragrance, and then you take a very small sip and you let it rest on your tongue. Right. So that's for wines. Same for whiskies.、Um, for coffee,、uh, we do what we say cupping. Okay.、Um, in order to test、uh, for quality. But if you are not cupping,、um, and you have a cup of coffee, you don't lift it up into the light to see whether or not it is viscous or not, because、um, <laughs> you could have an espresso that's、um, obsolete. It's not going to work. <laughs>、um, so what you do is you have to smell it.、Mm. So first reaction is usually the most accurate. Well, for me anyway, because、um, I don't know if you know that, but women have very strong noses. Okay, so、uh, for women in particular, if You were to taste coffee, and you really want to know how to taste it. Trust your nose. I've had、um, issues where、uh, there was a defect in the cup; could not taste it on the tongue, but I could sense it in the nose. So, 
So that's the trust the nose, and then have a sip. But that sip needs to go on the entirety of the tongue. In mm. wines, the small sip um, it should only really kind of rest uh, at a certain area, and then you have to swish it around. But with coffee, the best way to taste it is that you make sure that it is all around all at once. So either you take a big sip or you do the sniff. So you you, you kind of uh, slurp it straight into your mouth. So that's the best way to uh, sprinkle the coffee uh, across your entire orifice, effectively. <laughs> it's a little bit crude there. But yes, that's how you do it. The reason why is because uh, coffee is very strong in flavors. Compared to say the uh, something a little bit more volatile like mm. wines or whiskey, it, it's also really complex. In fact, research shows that um, coffee has two hundred flavor compounds, whereas wines only have about seventy. Wow! So because it's so complicated, you actually need to be able to have it all at once, so you don't miss anything. So that, that's how you would taste coffee. When you're cupping, we have a very specialized spoon. So cupping is basically wine tasting, but coffee version. Mm, we call it cupping. Mm, mm. We have a very special spoon where it's slightly dipped, like a soup spoon, but it's, uh, it's got the volumes a little bit um, deeper. So when you slurp it, you're able to kind of... Yes, shower all of the coffee from your cup, from your spoon, into every place of your mouth. And that's how you get all of the flavors. These 200 chemical compounds as compared to 70 in wine, how long does that necessitate that you study coffee for? Is that longer than what you would study wine for? You know, there is actually a course for like coffee science. Really? Yeah. It's, I don't remember which, which uh, university it's offers a university. it. Wow. Yeah, but um, you can actually study the science. There, I know that there are physicists, like astrophysicists, who have written books about the science of filter coffee. Wow. This is a thing. And then scientists study the water for coffee. So scientists study what kinds of minerals are best suited to extract coffee. And then people study, like for me, I study um, the how pressure affects brewing, mm. specifically that, and I'm so obsessed with that. Um, but um, so many different kinds of scientists are really into the study of extraction, the study of coffee uh, volatile compounds. You can search that up. If you go to, <laughs> um, uh, say, Science Direct or ResearchGate, you'll be able to find a lot of papers really? about specialty coffee, about coffee, about coffee extraction, about varietals. There's so much going on in and within the science of coffee that it is a field in itself. And mm. all of that contributes, yes, to the production of coffee in coffee shops, but it also helps inform how farmers can better produce coffee. Because coffee, the coffee chain, the coffee supply chain is very complicated. Many hands go through it. Um, and not only do farmers face climate change issues and maybe agri just general agricultural challenges, right? But occasionally, they also have to deal with the um, political environment. They deal with certifications. So things like organic certifications or whatever kinds of certifications, they have certain requirements for the farmers. So the research helped them, help the farmers figure out how to meet those requirements, meet the certifications, and then they would be able to sell it at a higher price. So that's kind of the, the, the gist of it. It's, it's economics, <laughs> and there's physics involved, and agronomy. 
That's why we love coffee because it's complex in such a way that it connects the world. Everybody can be involved in it in some way. Hey, listeners! I'm your editor Natsuki Arita, coming in to tell you that we are published by the Beat Asia, the fastest-growing regional publication for FNB news, event coverage, nightlife happenings, culture, and more. Find us at the Beat Asia to feel the pulse of Hong Kong and Asia. Now, back to Ivy. As compared to the study that you've had previously with sake, with whiskey, with wine. Tea, you know, talking about the same elements that you can get from the aroma, from the taste, the way that you appreciate those liquids—they're all under the same umbrella. Why did you decide to become enthralled with uh, coffee, and what makes it such an interesting beverage, in your opinion? Because you can, you can have control over the final product. Mm-hmm. I can have control over the final product. For teas, uh, generally you steep it. Okay, so we've done a bit of study about uh, whether we can extract tea the same way we extract espresso in coffee, kind of. But then you still have to steep it. You still have to brew it for a longer period. It doesn't affect taste as much as, say, um, if you were to change brewing methods for coffee, it tastes dramatically different. If you were to change the brewing method for tea, the final produce is comparable. I don't know if you've been to those shopping malls where people have ground tea and then they have a very special tea porta filter, okay? And hmm. then they have a tea machine now. Okay, Never seen, no. it's it's very local these days, but um, there there seems to be a bit of um, a, a trend. So they grind the coffee, they, sorry, they grind the tea and then they stick it in the porta filter, extract it for thirty seconds. So you get maybe like five hundred milliliters of tea. And um, it is more efficient compared to actually steeping the tea, but the final product is very similar to actually steeping the tea. So I don't know why that is. It's something to do with um, the fact that maybe coffee is actually the seed of the coffee cherry, whereas with teas or herbals, it's the plant itself. So there may be some differences in that that affects extraction so much. But with coffee, because you have so much control over the final product. It's fascinating. What are the variables? Oh, um, my research goes into espresso extraction, and in espresso extraction, there are something like twenty different variables that's wow. involved. I'm not even counting the uh, the choice of coffee. Okay? Jesus. So everything from um, the grind size to what size your porter filter, the basket of the porter filter. To um, what pressure is your espresso machine? Did you do a pre-brew, uh, pre pre-infusion, and uh, water temperature? Uh, so many different variables. I I love that. That is fascinating to me. I think that the fact that I could have so much control over the final product that is something that you wouldn't be able to experience even in wines or mm. whiskey unless you work at the vineyard. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you worked at the vineyard, of course, that's surely fascinating for the workers <laughs> there. But um, you know, when you are in um, first world, you are in cosmopolitan place. There's no vineyards. There are no distilleries. Mm. There, there are, but very, very far, far and few in between. But with coffee, it's very accessible in that I could have control over the final product, even with a, um, you know, just a 
normal espresso machine. I don't need something extravagant. But as long as I I could have control over it, I think that that's something that's worth investigating. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's about being curious. Yeah, yeah. in life, in anything that you pursue. But for me, coffee is something that I'm very curious about. You naturally a curious person at heart. I think so. Yes, really? that's why I'm a TV presenter, and I do a lot of interviews. Right? If I weren't curious about the topics that my interviewees want to share with me, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> there you go. TVP Pearls Dolce Vita has been around since 2006. Yeah, you know, correct. Previewing the greatness of Hong Kong lifestyle, food, culture, a bit of that international influence as well. Yes. When did you join them? So while I was at the coffee academics, I just all of a sudden decided maybe I want to join Miss Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, that was how I got into the industry. Really? Yeah, and then uh, I didn't prepare for it. Uh, everybody else did. Turns out you have to like. There are so many things you have to do before you actually submit your application into Miss Hong Kong. People don't know that, but you know, I I didn't know that. I I jumped into it and then oh yeah, I'm. Be fine. I just wanted to have fun and have a look and see if that <laughs> works for me. I just think that going into the pageant that was a good stepping stone for me to get into the industry because what happened afterwards for the last three years is actually what enriched me and my own worldview. Mm. So it's I wouldn't say that it's different from what I do for coffee. I think it's a good supplement for my work in coffee in the coffee industry. Because uh, the skills are slightly interchangeable, because I do marketing. <laughs> and, um, I started off doing financial reporting, and then afterwards I jumped into business interviews. So I did the Chinese business interviews for the news channel, for the news and information channel, and then so that's where I cultivated the interviewing skills, and then um, and then that's when I got called to. Um, Audition for Dolce Vita, and I've been doing it for about two years now. Really? Yeah. So um, it's been it's been quite good. Yes, Dolce Vita is quite um, a historical show, mm. I have to say, at TVB Po, and the things that they talk about is very luxury, but it's transitioning to something a little bit more depth and uh, more about meaning, which is something that I really enjoy. Um, it it is again about being curious. It mm, is about mm, mm. understanding the intricacies of every single industry. And whenever I interview people, what's interesting is that they always have something very technical to share. Sure. In and within whatever field that they're in, it, it might be jewelry, it might be filmography, film studies, it might be fashion, it might be material, it might be technology. All of these things, they all have the same thing. And that is, um, there's always something to be curious about in and within. Same thing for coffee, in that you have to be constantly curious about that topic in order to do well in it. So for me, um, in coffee industry, anyway, as a marketer, as a Q grader, you have to have it. If you don't have it, I, I wouldn't have survived the exams. I wouldn't have survived <laughs>、um, the the workload. And the the dedication needed to keep things going on a daily basis. <laughs> so, whilst you're not chatting and interviewing people exclusively in the coffee industry, it does give you a bit of a, a space that you can bring your skills and bring your education to beyond. I have only done two interviews directly in and within the coffee industry for TVB. 
Um, one is at a green bean supplier. I don't know. Am I allowed to mention brand names? Sure. Okay. So yeah, um, one of the uh, companies that I've interviewed for is uh, Noda Coffee. Uh, so they supply green bean for B to C. Green is uh, raw coffee beans. Wow. That's not heard of. So mm. that's very interesting to get their take. And then I've also interviewed somebody who does um, art and coffee crossover. So that's Lex Cafe. And that was very interesting as well because um, thinking about coffee from not just the complicated uh, perspective of the coffee chain and um, varietals, mixing the coffee shop culture into artworks, into something more lifestyle uh, that's more suitable for the market. That's also a very interesting take. You know, how do most people in layman terms absorb coffee culture, absorb coffee content? Mm. It's actually something a little bit more lifestyle. People associate coffee with lifestyle, and they're not necessarily interested in discovering the complexities of coffee, like I am. <laughs> but, um, like to be fair, like it's not for everybody. But sure. if you really want to study it, like that's the depth of which you have to go through. It's approximately five years worth of wow. study. Um, it's you have to find a mentor who's willing to teach you. And because um, you can't discover everything by yourself, it's not possible. Even barista champions, uh, like for example, the most recent Don Chan. So he had a mentor. For every champion, there is usually a mentor involved <laughs> um, in within the coffee industry because there's there's too much to cater for. Mm. But the market uh, is very different again. So there seems to be a slight disconnect between. Um, I th- it could just be in Hong Kong because not really getting the sense in uh, in elsewhere in Europe or in US, but in Hong Kong in particular, uh, coffee is lifestyle, but for the coffee industry, is more than that. And um, my job is to somehow bridge that. Mm. <laughs> it's like it's nearly impossible to be honest because coming from um, my own interests, I belong in and within the coffee industry people, but to dissect that and turn that simplify the content for the market sometimes i am offended by my own work (laughs) (laughs) moving on to our rapid fire questions oh dear you have less than 30 seconds ivy to come up with a few words to answer each question if you fail to come up with an answer in five seconds we'll move on to the next one okay are you not ready i'm not ready my goodness is there a penalty no no (laughs) penalty we, we just skip to the next question okay have you ever had a mess up live on tv if oh, so, tell yeah. us about it. Oh, for sure. Uh, I I think I uh, went ahead and I uh, reported the wrong Dow Jones. That's exactly what happened. Scandalous. Scandalous, yes. Are you that type of person that needs a sip or glug of coffee in the morning to function? Yes, absolutely. Obviously. The first thing I wake up in the morning is roast my coffee and then I plug it in the espresso machine. <laughs> yeah. Can you see yourself in any other career in your life? Or is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? I actually wanted to be a writer. I, when I was 11, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write my own books. I wanted to be a novelist. But it's very difficult, to mm. say the least. Mm. We understand that you were in Turkey recently. Mm. Where were you when you had the single best cup of coffee in your life? Not in Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, my best cup of coffee was the one that I made for myself um, in and within the tiny little studio on the Espresso uh, La Masoco Strata EP machine because I was doing big data work for the extraction and I, my study was trying to find the sweetest coffee I could get mm. using awful old crop coffee beans and I did it. 
How do you calm your nerves? Oh, I don't have nerves. You just you get nervous? used to it. Yeah, you just well, completely get used to it. Staring into the camera helps. Uh, if you weren't obsessing and dedicating to your life for coffee, what other liquid beverage would be stealing your heart? Oh, whiskey for whiskey. sure. The complexity. What are some misconceptions that people have of coffee? Mm, they think it's just uh, dark roasted is the best or crema is the best. <laughs> it's not. Crema is very bad for you if you have heart problems. Noted. In your opinion, what makes Hong Kong a great place to come and eat and drink? Uh, the hustle and bustle—you kind of get everything and anything anywhere. Uh, for for example, if you were to travel to any other large city, even New York, you're not going to be able to find a wonton place next to a Spanish tapas place. It's not heard of, but you can get literally any kind of cuisine here in Hong Kong. Scarily, yeah. <laughs> if you can recognize one person in the industry on this podcast. Who would you, uh, who would you want to shout out? Uh, for sure, my boss Scotty Callaghan, my ro- rock star, superstar uh, boss. He is incredible. He's got so much to share. Um, so he was a world barista champion, I think first runner up, and he has so much to share about the industry, about trends in the industry, and uh, yeah, I would definitely get him on board. What is something about being a YouTuber? And conversely, a TV presenter that most people don't realize about you. You need to know your content. You really need to know it uh, before your every interview, before every video. You can't just run out off and, mm. and go impromptu. You really need to study and do your research. A lot of artists, um, I, I think, a lot of people think that artists they just read off a script. And you can, if you want to, if you want to kind of do a 50% job of it, but then you really want to excel, you have to do your own research and you have to know every single topic. So even if it's a topic that you've never heard of, um, it could be uh, recycled sports shoes, for example. You have to go and dig and you have to learn it and you can then craft the questions. Where is your favorite neighborhood hang spot? Uh, I don't know. They're all really good. Um, Fair enough. We'll skip to the next one. What is one thing that Hong Kong does great that doesn't get enough recognition in terms of culture, food, or life? Uh, Hong Kong is really good in terms of the, uh, I think, diversity, actually. Because people um, from all walks of life, even if you're local or if you're an expat, you can just kind of hang around in the same place. And I think that's needs, that needs to be communicated to the rest of the world. I mean, I think Hello Hong Kong is okay as a campaign. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't really like the Hello Hong Kong campaign, personally. You don't have to. Because it, it doesn't showcase the unique selling points of Hong Kong. So mm. it doesn't showcase Hong Kong as a hub, as a commerce mm. hub, as a trading hub um, uh, where people from all walks of life meet. That's the uniqueness of Hong Kong. That is something that only Hong Kong has of course you don't see it anywhere else you go to new york paris london like none of it like they all are quite concentrated in their own fields and their own demographics or cultures hong kong is different where are you uh traveling to next next probably shanghai i need to have a bank account Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but also that's where i'm from actually like my I my I was born in Canada, but my mom is from Shanghai, and um, I understand we've got some business to attend to in Shanghai, so that's where I'll be next. Nice. What are you brewing in the coming months that you want to share with us on the podcast? What am I brewing? Um, I'm still writing, actually. I'm always writing a book. 
I write a book every year, actually, but hmm? I just never publish it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, the that's yeah, exactly. And um, hopefully, I'm thinking about actually writing a book for coffee, for especially coffee, which is a subject I know so well. Uh, whereas previously, I write books for fiction. Um, so I should write a book that I'm that I'm well versed in, rather than something that's just like something that came up with. <laughs> Send us the first copy. For sure. Thank you, Ivy, for coming on Thank podcast. You, keep your finger on the pulse and tap follow to keep up with the Beat Asia to hear more colorful chats and rich stories. This episode is hosted by Ruben Barabes. Big shout out to Ivy Liu for coming on to the Delish guest list to share her story. Our producer for this episode is Marcus Tremer, and we are edited by myself, Natsuki Arito. That's all for this episode. See you in the next one. <laughs>